Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome, everyone, to the 12th episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of the financial markets and financial uh, planning. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. Um, So apologize to everybody for doing a little differently this week. Um, I was out of town for business all week since Sunday and just got back last night on Thursday the 12th. So we're recording this podcast on Friday morning, September 13th. So um, as always, just want to take a first few minutes to recap the performance uh, for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on September 12th. And as always, the data is from stockcharts.com. So the S&P 500 is up 2.84% for the month and 20.05% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrials is up 3.01% for the month and up 18.6% for the year. The NASDAQ Composite is up 2.91% for the month and 23.5% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 is up 5.51% for the month and up 18.01% for the year. So uh, a very strong start to the month of September for small caps, which have been lagging year to date. Uh, The International Index X United States is up 3.29% for the month and up 11.55% for the year, also um, outperforming the U.S. indexes so far in September. Moving on to bond yields, the three-month Treasury currently uh, is sitting at 1.95%, the two-year Treasury at 1.72%, and the 10-year Treasury is at 1.79%. So um, it was a relatively quiet week in the markets, Matt, um, is the major indexes kind of broke to the upside of their trading range they were stuck in for the month of August. Um, Before we know it, Q3 earnings season will be right around the corner. Um, I know the Fed meets next week, I believe, or two weeks next week um, to make another decision on interest rates. Um, While President Trump continues to breathe down their necks to lower interest rates even further, he had a couple of tweets this week uh, signaling that he thinks rates should be at zero or even sub-zero. So, Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, all these developed nations outside the U.S., look at their interest rates, they're a lot lower than us. And, you know, he's obviously unhappy about that. Um, One thing that's interesting over the past week, I would say, is the recent thawing of U.S.-China trade relations, and you're starting to see olive branches extended from both sides. So I think that's a little bit of the optimism in the stock market over the past week, in addition to um, optimism, whether right or wrong, and what the Fed's going to be doing. So again, market's got blinders on. It's focused just on two things right now. At least it appears to be. Right, right. Um, So we have the delegation from China coming over to the U.S. in October to talk trade. 
Um, Trump administration delayed tariffs, I believe, till the middle of October in good faith. And I just saw this morning that China said they're going to exclude um, some agricultural products um, or they're going to keep buying agricultural products and exclude um, tariffs on soybeans um, getting imported from the U.S. to China, I believe I saw this morning. Yeah, I mean, all positive steps. We'll see if it continues. Um, I think for listeners, the reason that we're, we're talking about, say, these two big topics, which, again, U.S.-China trade and the Federal Reserve and what they're going to do with interest rates, why this is important for listeners is that these are the two big topics that are pushing and pulling the market over the past, let's call it six, eight, six to eight weeks. Yeah. Is that a good way yeah, of saying it? Yeah, so to put it in plain English for listeners, the reason we're talking about this is this is the stuff that is moving markets right now um, day to day. There's a lot of noise um, in these two topics, which has caused a lot of volatility. Yeah. So in essence, that's why we're talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so moving on to... Um, Articles and tweets and research from the week that we found interesting. Um, I read an article by Morgan Housel on September 4th on his blog called The Collaborative Fund. And it's just titled Short Investing Beliefs. So it's just a, a, you know, a brief one-page article that you know he outlines some of his investing beliefs that I thought they were kind of interesting. So I thought I'd, I'd share that today. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is he said history is greater than forecasts because most investing history is how people reacted to forecasts and things that weren't forecasted so i like this one a lot matt because there's so many forecasters out there and people who like to try and predict what is going to happen next um, i.e interest rates uh, when the next recession is going to be but at the end of the day, you know, whatever happens is going to happen and you just have to be prepared to react to it. That's right. Um, so I just thought that that was, that was good because, you know, there's so many people on TV that are forecasting so many different things and it's hard to keep uh, everyone in check. But um, at the end of the day, um, in my opinion, you just got to, you know, follow what happens and then you can look back on history in certain situations and say, hey, this is how people reacted when X happened 10 years ago. Now that we're having a similar situation, could we expect something similarly? And we do that a lot. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We were looking at previous data points when these situations you know, occur again, and then we're overlaying that with what else we're seeing in real time, right? And that's mm -hmm. how we tend to derive some of our decisions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the next one is endurance is greater than time horizon because the amount of time left in the game doesn't matter if you're forced out of the game. So this is great because as an investor or a trader, you need to be there to fight another day, right? So you can't risk everything into one or a couple investments. So um, you know things such as position, position sizing is very important. So yep. you don't want to put 50% of your account into one individual stock or one individual bond yep. you know, because you have to live to fight another day and actually be there and have the capital to stay invested in the markets. Yep. And I know that you know me and you have seen several um, instances where people have blown up their accounts because they were too heavily concentrated, you know, in a certain position, um, because they were, you know, they had high conviction in it, and it went the other way. Yeah, and you can even take it as far as, but Matt, this company has been around for five decades, right? 
and we've we've all, we've seen in history the previous darlings. Unfortunately, you know those things tend to eventually come to an end. Yeah, and so you just got to be careful that no company is bulletproof. Right, exactly. Right? Just gotta be cognizant. A of that. good example of that that I think of is um, long-term capital management. And for people that don't know, um, it was you know a hedge fund that uh, they would just sell naked options. Um, so their loss potential was unlimited and it caught up with them uh, one year and you know they were out of business they had yeah. no more money yeah um, so if people are interested on that look up the if you just google long-term capital management you can read the whole story on that but um, yep. that was one instance where you know people weren't there to fight another day um, this next one is kind of just a general life thing that I thought was kind of cool, Matt. Um, He says, optimism is greater than pessimism because more people wake up every morning aiming to make the world more efficient than wishing wishing to screw things up. (laughs) I love it. Um, So I just like that. Um, You know, rather than looking at the glass half empty, look at it half full. Um, And I think this makes a big difference when making financial decisions and investment decisions, because if there's something going on in your life that your minds elsewhere, you're going to tend to trip up and make mistakes you normally wouldn't if yep. you know you were completely fully invested in what you were doing at that point in time. Um, so you know we both wake up on the wrong side of the bed sometimes That's each right. morning, and um, but you know uh, I guess one of the one of my goals for this year has been to be more optimistic about things waking up in the morning. I love it. Than pessimistic. I so love it. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, the next one is personal finance is greater than investing at all income levels because a good saver who doesn't invest will be fine, but a great investor mirrored in debt and overspending can be wiped out. Good one. So it's more than just investing. It's lifestyle, right? It's a good one. Uh, the next one that I uh, throw 100% weight behind is simple is greater than complex because good ideas need so much room for error that they shouldn't need lots of data to be persuasive. So I think this is one of the misconceptions in our industry, Matt, is that you have to have all these complex systems to be mm-hmm. you know, successful in this industry yep. where, um, in my opinion, most of the time, the simpler is the better, almost. Absolutely. Um, so you know, you and gotta, a lot of times, less is best. Another way to say it. Yeah, exactly. So you gotta, you know, kind of come back to the fact that you know when you're talking about investing and financial planning, there's so much information and so many different ways to go about that that it's impossible to make a decision when you have so many investment options or so many strategies or so many different types of ways to tackle a financial planning problem where you have to go, you gotta figure out what you're gonna do and and go down that one direction because you know if you're trying to take in all this information, you're never gonna be able to make a decision. Yeah, paralysis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the last one uh, that I highlighted from this article was that cash flow is graded is greater than reported earnings because accountants can be science fiction writers masquerading as <laughs> statisticians. <laughs> so I thought that was good because obviously, you know, when you're looking at a company, you want to see revenue growth, you want to see earnings growth, but sometimes earnings can be manipulated on financial statements sure. um, with a few accounting tactics. 
Um, so I always was, was you know, um, you know, when talking about fundamentals of a company, I'm always interested in the cash flow um, sometimes rather than just the bottom line because things can be manipulated like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, you can't fudge actual hard dollars. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just thought that that was kind of a fun article um, that I saw, Matt, that I just wanted to bring up. No, that was but, a good one. That was by Morgan. Yeah, by Morgan Housel. And he's got a lot of good stuff too. So check out his um, his blog. It's called The Collaborative Fund. Um, he's got a lot of good stuff that pertains to the markets and just life in general. So. Okay. Um, I got uh, three things that kind of caught my eye this week. Uh, first one, Mark, is from Braver Capital Management. And it was a research note issued on September 6th. And it was saying not to uh, read into uh, the negative ISM manufacturing index as a sign of a recession just yet. Braver was kind of arguing that you should be watching consumer-related data for a confirmation. And that's just my point. I want to see what you have to comment. Yeah, well, that's pretty timely because this morning um, retail um, spending just came in this morning and was higher than expected in the saw U.S. That. So, like double what yeah. they thought. Yeah, and that was for August. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that. So, so just um, again another data point we look at. Uh, second one was a post by uh, Zero Hedge. We've mentioned um, that blog in the past. This one was from September eighth, and the note was titled "Class Eight Heavy Duty Truck Orders Plunge, seventy nine percent in August, marking the tenth straight month of declines." By the way, I'll note they properly used the word "plunge" there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they did. Yeah, I would say seventy nine percent. That's 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 plunge. I would I would say okay. that's correct. Yes. Um, so the post notes that the data has, and I quote, traditionally seen as a good gauge of the overall U.S. economy. So what is a Class Eight truck? It's one with three or more axles, so a tractor trailer. Okay. Okay. So again. Um, could this data be skewed, Mark, because of U.S.-China trade? Mm -hmm. It could, yep. but it's not a positive data point. No. Okay. And then the uh, third thing is this. It is uh, a tweet from Kevin Smith, um, and it was recent this past week, and this is really neat. It has to do with Google search popularity, okay? So you can go in to Google, Mark, you know this, but you can go in and you can type in the word Starbucks, right? And you can go back in time and see how much the word Starbucks was Googled, you know, going back, say, 20 years, yeah. right? And I, I threw out Starbucks for the listeners because we're having Starbucks right <laughs> yeah. now. Uh, but yeah. so this uh, gentleman, Kevin Smith, looked at the word recession, okay? And he went back to the great financial crisis, 07 to 09. And the word recession peaked in the search results in January of 08, which was relatively more in the beginning okay, yeah. of, of the recession then. Now, the recession was not officially called by the U.S. government until December of 08. Mm -hmm. Okay, so think about that. So the Google search was a solid 11 months ahead of when the government called it. Mm -hmm. Now, why, did, why do you think he posts this? Because the word recession again is being Google searched so much, it's reaching those January 08 levels. levels. 
Another data point. Yeah. And I think some of these kind of, let's call them satellite data points. This is not something that people have been using for the past three decades, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So this is kind of a newer thing. I mean, we don't have a lot of data. This could be a one-off, Yeah. right? Someone could sit there and say, well, look how many more people are using the internet now. So is this been indexed for users? I know this could go a lot of ways. I just find it interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say too, I was like, I wonder what the Google searches were in um, like 00 to 01 before the tech bubble. But I'm like, was Google even around then? <laughs> yeah, they weren't as popular. I mean, yeah. Back then, you know, Yahoo was the cat's meow. Right, right. right. And so, um, you know, Google started to really overtake them in the mid 2000s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a newer, we don't have a ton of data points. For this. Yeah. For this. But I just... Again, is an index for users. I just find it interesting, mm -hmm. and I wanted to throw it out there. Yeah, and, and shows uh, that the public's a lot more interested in it now that it's peaking again. Yeah, to 08 levels. Mm -hmm. And Mark, I'll turn it back to you for the financial planning topic of the week. Yeah. So this topic comes from an article in the Wall Street Journal from September 6th by Jason Zweig. And um, Jason's an, a really another good one that has um, great material that he writes about. So I encourage people to check out some of his stuff as well. Um, the article is titled, Knowing If You Can Stomach the Next Big Market Swing. So um, this talks about kind of um, risk questionnaires and how financial advisors have used them with clients in the past. Yep. And I think Jason does a really good job of, you know, putting this into perspective for people on what different things can influence someone's perspective of their own risk tolerance. Um, so he starts the article out by saying, if I ask you in a questionnaire whether you're afraid of snakes, you might say no. But if I throw a live snake in your lap and then ask you if you're afraid of snakes, you'll probably say yes <laughs> if you ever talk to me again. <laughs> and he says, investing is like that. On a bland hypothetical quiz, it's easy to say you'd buy more stocks if the market fell by 10%. I love this 20 percent. Keep going. Or more. In a real market crash, it's a lot harder to step up and buy when every stock price is turning blood red, pundits are shrieking about Armageddon, and your family is begging you not to throw more money into the flames. Then the risk is no longer a notion, it's an emotion. So this is what we saw in Q4 of 2018. This was us. Matt, this was us. We've had people come to us, us and say- what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, and people are like, you know, before uh, Q4 2018, everyone's like, ah, the market's too expensive. Let's wait for a pullback. And when we get the pullback in Q4, here's a pullback. And then the people wanted to sell. So this is, I mean, this is, article is perfect for this. And I think I love it. Um, he did a really good job there in the first couple of sentences to explain what it's about. Um, and he goes on to say that that is why you and your financial advisor should be wary of risk tolerance questionnaires ding, so, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so when people fill out these questionnaires matt i feel like their answers are always driven by what the market is doing at that point in time absolutely so that's why you know i'm not a huge fan of these you can give your two cents on these but you know it really doesn't do anything for me as an advisor um because i could get a different answer from a client uh six months ago and then today and six months down the road 
You know, um, our practice is a little different than most, mm -hmm. but I will say this. Um, um, before I comment, I'm going to ask you this. When's the last time you broke one of those out in a client meeting? Mm. <laughs> I can't <Okay>. remember. <laughs> so there you go. So from my perspective, I kind of view these risk tolerance questionnaires as a CYA for lazy advisors. Yeah. I'm just going to say it. Mm -hmm. I, that might not be a popular opinion, mm -hmm. but um, in, in my view, the, it's the advisor's job to poke and prod and figure out and help that client articulate in plain English what their risk tolerance and goals and objectives are. And there's strategies that an advisor can use to do that. Yeah. And a generic risk questionnaire um, that is going to be very heavily swayed on their current sentiment about their job, the market, and so forth at that time, because I agree with you, I don't think is the best way to do it. Yeah, I think a better way to approach it is sit down with the client and figure out what their goals are, and that's going to determine what their risk tolerance has to be. Yeah, right? yeah, the long -term absolutely. Goals. Absolutely, and what their aptitude is for volatility. And, you know, I, I think walking the client through that and then making sure if they're utilizing an active manager. Um, you know, walking them through, you know, what our process is, or, you know, if they're using someone else, making sure they understand what that manager's investment process is and the thesis and what they, what they tend to do in a downturn and how they analyze that. Mm -hmm. And the client has to be comfortable with that manager's strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great article and he writes other good stuff too. As yeah, you he does. He, he has a lot of good stuff. He also writes there. for Barron's yeah. um, in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. been doing this for a while. So he's, he's very well respected in, in the industry. Um, so he <clears throat> got a few comments from um, an independent analyst in London uh, named Joachim Clement. And he says, uh, Joachim Clement, an independent analyst in London, suggests superimposing a timeline of your key financial experiences onto a chart of stock returns and interest rates. Did you buy your first stock at the beginning of a bull market? That could skew uh, you toward taking more risk? Or did you start a business during a recession? That could make you more gung-ho if thrived or gun-shy if it failed. The best guide to whether you will dump stocks in the next financial crisis is whether you did in the last one. Hmm. If you weren't investing in 2008-2009, look back at the fourth quarter of 2018 when stocks lost nearly 20%. Be sure to ask what your financial advisor did in past market plunges too. So again, going back to the fact of, I think risk tolerance is skewed based on your experiences. I think that could be that could be a big thing. Yeah, um, I, because it's very different from you know investing, starting investing in 2010, 2011, than starting in 0001 or 0708. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that can have an emotional um, impact on on your view of future decision making going process. forward. Yeah. yeah. So, I thought that this was a great article. So, if people want to um, read more about that, um, they can check out some more stuff on the Wall Street Journal. Now, one thing that just kind of it comes out real quick before we move on mm -hmm. is for some of the younger listeners that are out there who maybe weren't investing through the 07, 08, early 09 crisis. They have yet to really be what I would call stress tested. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So from from that perspective, one thing I would kind of throw out there is, you know, you and I both know it's not a matter of if the next recession comes; it's a matter of when. When. Right. 
And so I think what is helpful for people going through a challenging market period is to constantly make sure if you're using a professional or you're doing it yourself, reviewing your risk, reviewing the process that you're utilizing. And I think it's important that, you know, as long as you have a game plan in place and you're following it, that's gonna be a lot better situation than winging it and then once your emotions come into play, what's the two that's guiding what, emotions? Yeah, fear, fear and, and greed. greed. Yeah. And that's right. where people get killed is yeah. when you when you when you, uh, when when you, you let your emotions when take you let, control. When you let the fear or greed, those two emotions dictate the decision, tends not to have the best results. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I apologize for that. that. Yeah. No, I just want to throw good. that out there. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, so we had a couple questions this week from one of our listeners. His name was Nick, and we replied a little more in depth to Nick um, over email, but I just wanted to bring some of the questions up because I think some other people might be thinking the same thing. Um, so thank you for the questions, Nick. So the first thing uh, Nick asked was, what are your feelings or opinions regarding the infinite banking slash becoming your own bank concept popular popularized by Nelson Nash um, and Garrett Gunderson, which uses specialty dividend paying whole life insurance policies to build wealth. Um, Nick goes on to say, from my understanding, the basic concept is to overfund a whole life policy, allowing for tax advantages, loans, and the ability to use the cash balance as retirement income. So I'll start and just answer this very basically, Matt. Um, my whole concept behind life insurance is just that, that it's meant to insure your income in case something were to happen to you so that your family, your wife, and your kids were taken care of in the event that something happened to you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just my personal opinion that um, that's what insurance should be used for. I think that there's way... Um, better investment vehicles out there if someone wants to grow their wealth than using a whole life insurance policy to um, to make that happen. Yeah, and I'll just kind of pipe in. I mean, I think this situation was a lot different, say, in the early 80s when interest rates were as high as they were. You know, it may have been a different story, but I'll say this. It's been a long time since I could ever look a client in the eye and say, you know what, let's overfund the whole life yeah. policy. <laughs> um, so with that being said, I would agree, interest rates are so low. If you're gonna be investing for the long term with compounding, I am not a fan of looking at whole life as a retirement savings vehicle. Yeah, It should be just to cover and protect someone's income stream or for the ultra wealthy to cover their estate tax. Um, beyond that, yeah, term insurance, save your money, move on. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, so, and then I and Matt and I aren't really familiar with the infinite banking becoming your own bank concept. But if that's something that a lot of people want us to look more into, we can dive into some research on that. Um, but just. <clears throat> from the basic um, understanding of it, you know, we think that the way to go about insurance is utilizing cheap term insurance policies um, just to protect your income uh, for your family. So um, the second question from Nick is, um, I'm, he said, I'm looking for the best approach to get into the profession of financial planning. So do you want to 
kind of take that one first. Yeah, I mean, the thing I'll throw out there, Nick, is, and I kind of mentioned this in the email, this industry is is so tough to break into. Um, you could be the most connected person. It's it's one thing to know that person well, and it's yet another to convince that person to write you a check to invest money with you. Yeah. And so I, I say that to start just because the uh, the failure rate of getting started in our industry and, and is so high. So um, I think your best approach would be to look at an established practice where you could find um, an entry job. Independent practice. Independent practice and work your way up. And the problem with this is, is that these entry level positions, they don't pay much, right? Because, you know, from their perspective, you don't have experience. And, you know, you need to prove your work ethic and who you are as a person and, and the knowledge that you're going to learn. So I think you've got to go into it with uh, realistic expectations. I would try to find an established practice. Independent would be my preference because um, I think a, a lot of the larger wirehouses are going to have um, certain contracts where you're going to be locked in. You can't go anywhere else and you're going to be, you know, cognizant of that. Yeah. But... Um, Established practice, you got to start your way on the ground floor, work your way up, and you just got to know that going into it. It's an uphill battle. Um, can it be very rewarding? Absolutely, um, uh, in many ways. However, getting your foot in the door is no joke. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And, um, you know, obviously in the beginning, as you mentioned, you're going to probably have to make a little bit of a financial sacrifice, maybe from what you're doing right now. Um you know, for the long-term benefit of, you know, being competent in your knowledge of financial planning and um, the financial markets and being able to help clients down the road. Um, And your income will grow as time goes on, as you get more proficient in the industry. But um, it's just making that upfront sacrifice of um, the income cut, uh, per se, coming into the industry. Tough. Um, But yeah, so... You know, question, we, we, so. we might be a little biased just because we have an independent firm. Sure. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there as well. It's not that you can't do the same thing at a wirehouse. It's just that's this is just what we have done. So um, Good we're just giving our side of the coin on that. Yep. So, so thanks for the questions, Nick. Keep them coming if you have them. Um, before we wrap up, Matt, is there anything else? Um, you want to mention before? No, I think we'll be recording next Thursday. We got the Fed meeting um, Wednesday. The announcement is at uh, 2 p.m., so I'm sure we'll give everyone an update on what the Fed did at that time. And uh, beyond that, I hope everyone uh, enjoys the weekend, and I hope uh, it's not too hot. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I thought we were going to start cooling down there and getting the fall weather. And then but it came right back. Right back, yeah. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening to the 12th episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. Uh, Like Matt said, we hope you all have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. 
have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show, message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor. <laughs>